health raisers. Health raisers don't just survive, together we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Tim Buell, my drum teacher, professional drummer based in Tennessee, my second favorite drummer because I am my favorite drummer. I've okay. recently realized. Fair enough. I'll, I'll accept it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, you had a hand in helping me to make that realization. So, you know, thank you. I consider you one of my curiosity superheroes. And that is what this episode is about. You and others in my life, because I surround myself with people who make me want to be smarter, want to be better, and want to explore ideas with me. So, fellow nerd, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I I like... uh, Curiosity is definitely something that I'm fighting to maintain throughout as much of my life as I can. Now you say fighting. To me, it doesn't seem like it's that difficult for you. I I feel like it's a practice that you put into place on purpose and not like such a struggle because you come up with things in our conversations and our lessons that are extremely creative. And Mm. I think creativity and curiosity have a wonderful partnership. What do you think? Yeah, I say fighting only because I think that it isn't necessarily uh, natural for a human being to constantly challenge themselves. And I don't even mean, you know, I don't mean physically, I mean mentally, like, you know, to discover something, some new hobby you find interesting, and then to look it up and watch this person's thing on it and read this person's book on it and think about it like this and talk with this person and blah, blah, blah. All of those steps are things that take energy from you. It can be really, really hard in a life where you're trying to pay your mortgage and feed your kids and you know raise them to be responsible adults and whatever else people have going on. It can be really hard to realize that that curiosity, to me, that curiosity is not just for me and my interests, but it's also helping me become a more well-rounded person, someone who understands more about the world. And uh, those are all important things. Where do you find it easiest in your life to practice curiosity? I think that you were correct earlier in saying it's kind of, I don't know if it's easy for me, but it is a practice that I have of being curious because I don't, I view it kind of as the same thing regardless of what I'm pointing my curiosity toward. So in music, there's always some part of music that's keeping me curious that I'm learning about. In coffee, I love coffee. It's the same thing. With mm-hmm. cocktails, it's the same thing. Like, So I try to view curiosity not as something that I'm curious. I, I try not to compartmentalize it as if I'm curious about things in this part of my life, but Mm -hmm. this part Mm -hmm. of my life I figured out or this part of my life I'm not curious about or whatever, because I think that everything in my life can benefit from being curious. I think where people can go wrong sometimes is they think curiosity is about getting better at a thing 
but it doesn't necessarily have to. Like you can, I think we live in a world where if you're putting time into something, it should be yielding X result. Mm -hmm. And so that makes us look at curiosity like, okay, if I'm going to be curious about making cocktails, well, then it means that you know, three weeks from now, I should be able to make a better old fashioned than I can right now or whatever. And when we let curiosity become something that has to provide results, it starts shutting down our interest in it. And I think that it's really healthy if you can just view curiosity as like, no, I literally just want to know more about how the world works. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to like find out how to make the most obscure, weird version of a old fashioned that exists and then have to do it. Like, no, you know, you can just know that that's a thing out there and go on with your day and not, you know, have it have to show up in some kind of tangible way. And I think that's what's really important about like our conversation right now in the world about politics, about religion, about all these things that are such hot button issues. It's like, in order to have real curiosity, you have to be willing to sit down and just hear out the person that disagrees with you, regardless of where that conversation goes. I think there's something helpful about just hear, even if you even if you hear what they say and you think, that's crazy. I don't agree with that at all. You have to remain open to at least hearing what they have to say and taking it in because that is what's going to help you have compassion for that person, which is going to be the only thing actually that will maybe have them change their opinion that you think is crazy to come over to yours. It's like fostering empathy and <laughs> compassion and finding what we have in common. And I think a lot of people with curiosity, they're curious to try and get to a point when in reality, I think there's a lot of benefit of just like being curious and not having it have to go to A to B. Okay. But there's also a tendency as human beings and, and actually biologically proven phenomenon as human beings to survive, which is trying to be as comfortable and avoiding danger as much as possible and being a part of something, being belonging to, identifying with curiosity and being open to someone who doesn't think like you is work mm -hmm. because you are working against some primal tendencies to be safe. So I know there are instances where they are more, that is a more difficult practice for you, just like it is for me, where I feel like this opinion is, seems so self-explanatory that I don't even understand how someone else can have mm. a different opinion on this sure. belief. So I find sometimes it is very difficult to practice curiosity, especially if I feel threatened or defensive. Yeah. Do you have moments like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot. <laughs> and I think that is, I think you're highlighting exactly why people don't do it or don't do it more. I like to find something in a conversation that I can clearly tell, like, maybe I think I disagree with this person on this thing. And I like to talk about it enough to where we can both hear each other out and whatever. And not everybody enjoys that kind of interaction. And for me, I'm willing to pay the price of walking away from a certain amount of conversations knowing like, that person probably didn't love talking to me. <laughs> 
because I misread the thing and thought that they would be into like a playful argument about like me playing devil's advocate and they were not into it. Mm -hmm. And I try to get Mm -hmm. better at reading those situations so that I'm not bumming out someone that was just like, man, I was just trying to like be at this party and like talk to a couple of people I haven't seen in a while. Like I'm trying to avoid finding that person and then making them feel like they've been backed into a corner in an argument or something. But I think that there are plenty of times in my life where that kind of finding these conversations, it doesn't have to be about like life altering thing. Like it can be about like, is Michael Jordan better than LeBron James? Like I've gotten into real, I'm having to like practice deep breathing and things like that (laughs) to get through an uncomfortable conversation. And my wife is like just wanting to die. She hates it because she thinks this person and I are arguing and both of us are viewing it as like a, like an intellectual challenge of like, no, I really do want to know all the reasons why you think Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. And I want you to know why I don't think that that's true. You know what I mean? So, Uh uh, you know, I think in those instances, they're, they're goofy but they help me in real instances when I have like family members that have really like, I think harmful beliefs, being Mm. able to challenge them and say, hey, like, I don't think that's great. And I think we should talk about why I don't think that's great and how I think it's actually like really harmful to certain people. Those are instances where the curiosity in my life has been able to foster me, hopefully being able to talk about difficult things and even if people don't walk away being like on my side about it at the end of it, at least we were able to like talk about it. Mm-hmm. So then why bother? Why bother practicing being a curious person or wanting to know someone else's stance or trying to understand what it's like to live in someone else's skin or someone else's belief system? What's in it for you? I mean, it helps me be a much better person, which I think, and I actually do mean this. I don't mean this as a joke. I think the first time I actually learned what empathy was, was like when I was in college. Uh, Cause I had a friend who every social interaction we would have, he would, we would walk away from it. And I'd be like, man, that person at the cafeteria was such an asshole. And he'd be like, well, but think about it from their side. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, what, what? <laughs> Why are you thinking <laughs> about it from their side? <laughs> And then when I met my wife, she was even more so someone who, you know, could always display empathy and helped me be able to think through things like that. And what I started seeing is like, not only was it making me a better person because I was able to realize like, oh, I'm actually not the main character in everyone else's life. <laughs> I, I am a, <laughs> I am a B role plot line or maybe even a like (laughs) Z plot line in their daily life. And like, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't think of it like that before. So it, it helps me on a real person level, I think be a better person, but it also, I think all these like ways to stay curious and view things from other people's point of view and things like that also just make you, whatever you're doing, it makes you better at doing it. So if we take like music, for instance, which is what I do for Mm -hmm. a living, I mean, I have so many opinions about music. So many, which you are no stranger. I know, Tim. Yeah. Yes. You're no stranger (laughs) to the fact that I have a lot of opinions about music, like what makes good music, what makes bad music, all of this stuff. But I hold them as not the right way. I hold them as the 
combination of what I've reached as what I think is good or bad or whatever, based on my life experience. And I'm curious to learn as much as I can about how other people view music, because it helps me understand that my way isn't the way, which helps me be better at my thing though. So even if I don't wanna be a good person, even if I don't wanna be the best musician I want to, I just wanna be the most hireable musician it still turns out that finding out that there's more than my way to view things is a way to success. So let's talk about two specific examples where you and I do not agree, although I am trying. Oh, interesting. My best. Okay. Mm-hmm. First, jazz. Okay, sure. All right. So, you know, this is our joke. People are not going to know this necessarily, but... You're very passionate about about jazz yeah. and what a magnificent genre of music it is. And listen, I agree with you. I can I can respect that jazz's roots are deeply embedded in a lot of music and it's a it's a thing. It's a respected thing. However, my narrative the way I grew up thinking about jazz, the way jazz is presented, it is very intellectual. When I listen to jazz, I can appreciate it, but it's not like I'm relaxing into it or it makes me feel necessarily good. Like I like music to be, to make me feel, okay? Uh-huh. And jazz puts me in a very thinking space. With the exception, there's a couple of exceptions Snarky Puppy being one of them, I actually feel like I can relax when I'm listening to that. But when we're talking about old school jazz, it feels like I'm taking a test. Uh And that does not feel like where I want to be with music. Why don't you tell me, explain to me why I should be or how I could benefit more from being by being more curious about jazz. Well, I mean, specifically with jazz, I think that as a drummer, like the the genre of jazz, like big band era jazz is quite literally why we have a drum set. So if you play drums, if you want to figure out where the drum set came from, it's a very young instrument and it came from jazz. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that specifically with drums, which would be different if like saxophone did not come from jazz, but it was used in jazz. We've had drumming since like the earliest period of time we know of. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as the drum set that we're all Mm -hmm. playing, all those drums, the bass drum and the snare drum and the cymbals and stuff, all of those were separate things until jazz. And then it came together as one thing that someone played. Mm-hmm. That makes it a little more important for drummers to know at least a basic understanding of like how a drum set function in jazz because it tells you, it shows you how the drum set has aged over time. But then I also think that jazz as a genre in and of itself, you as a curious person, kind of the point of jazz is more reactive in the moment, exploring where can we take this thing more than any other genre maybe we've ever seen. The whole point of like Miles Davis in the 60s, he's got his second great quintet, Tony Williams and these people, and it's amazing and people are loving it. And every night before they go out on stage, they're trying to do something they didn't do the night before, Mm -hmm. which is very different than 
I mean, you think about Halsey or Ariana Grande touring right now. They're trying to do exactly what they did last night tonight because mm-hmm. people are paying a ton of money to be here and they're here to experience this huge show with the pyrotechnics and the the set mm-hmm. and the, the, you know, they've heard the song seven billion times on their Spotify and now they're here live and we want to give them that experience, but louder and bigger with lights and all the thing. Jazz is a genre that was founded on like the principle of let's make something new every single night. There are people like Miles Davis where literally at some point they started playing, like they would go, they would be on stage performing and they would start saying, okay, I've played with these band members long enough to know that when so-and-so plays this certain thing, they expect me to play this thing and I'm going to try to do the opposite of that, which to me like embodies curiosity better than almost anything I can think of where like literally you're going into it saying, I want to do the opposite of what I would usually do so that we can do something we've never done before. I also think that it challenges like what is like what is music? How would you how would you define music? On a very primal level, something that makes me feel, something that makes me feel human and also makes me feel it makes me feel connected to other people. It we don't necessarily need words for music. It's a way to communicate emotions and it's a way to make something that's difficult or difficult, you know, loneliness or um, loss or grief more palatable through through sound um, and vibration. It's um, sometimes an escape for me. So that's what music it's, does. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. music does, but what is music? Uh-huh. Sound yep. made by instruments or I, voice. I, I would say sound. So anything can be music. When you hear a bird tweeting outside your window, that mm-hmm. bird is not thinking about music theory when it's singing its little <laughs> melody. <laughs> but some people would consider that music. It is something that you can assign pitches to and you could write chords around and you could add a little drum beat to it. And that little bird outside of your window just made music. To me, I think that jazz is also a world where you can find a lot of musicians who are pushing and you can, I bet you can find this in pop music too. There's like someone like Billie Eilish, like so much of their production is her with a bunch of layers of her voice, sometimes Mm -hmm. whispering, Sometimes singing, sometimes whisper singing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can describe it that aren't traditional. Like when we think of pop music, this is what we think of. And then the production behind it is sometimes random like sound effects that they, you know, like there's one thing I watched of Phineas where he talks about this little like noise that the they were in some UK, London or something. And like the crosswalk thing made this little beeping sound that they thought was interesting. So they Mm -hmm. recorded it and Mm -hmm. that became something in a song. So when you're standing on the street corner and you're hearing that sound, if I ask someone, hey, is that music? They would maybe say no. But if they hear it in a Billie Eilish song, they go, well, yeah, that's music. Nothing changed other than how what they brought to it. Like when I'm walking around downtown, I might not view the crosswalk sound thing as music. That doesn't mean it isn't music. That means I don't view it as music. 
certainly you you can be as broad or as strict as you want, but my definition of music is really, really broad because I think that like really at the end of the day, all music is is sound. So why isn't um, Stuart Copeland your favorite drummer? <laughs> because he doesn't, uh, and Stuart, if you're listening, I think you're a great drummer. <laughs> And, and I think that like this also is a good example of like why people avoid curiosity because I think a lot of times people think to disagree means we're fighting or to disagree means mm. I have to prove my point. Mm-hmm. And I don't give a shit if you like Sewer Copeland. That's amazing if you do. I'm so glad you found a drummer that you like and that makes you feel like you can escape or makes you, inspires you to whatever. That's great. Truly, like awesome. I don't I don't want to take that away from anyone. But whatever I listened to growing up, the drummers I listened to, the music I listened to, the sounds I was exposed to, the way my brain works and how I process sound and timbre and all these things, whatever all of that adds up to, it adds up to me hearing Stuart Copeland and going, I don't prefer this over a lot of other stuff. And there are just as many people that when they do hear Stuart Copeland, they go, I love this. This is my favorite thing ever. And it's because whatever they whatever they consumed to add up to the sum total of who they are now, they prioritize different things than I do. Okay, so then curiosity works both ways, right? Like, why are you enjoying, let's stay in music. So why are you enjoying specific genres, specific drummers? Why do you favor some drummers over others? But you've also, to me, said in lessons that it's also just as important to be able to listen to something and identify why you don't like it. What do you get out of analyzing a situation, a book, a piece of music, a genre of music, and being able to say, I don't like this because. Yeah, I think that gets back to curiosity. If that's what's leading you, then when you hear something that you don't necessarily prefer, you're able to not only listen to it and maybe listen to it through a... So Stuart Copeland, I don't love his drumming, but people do. So for me, I'm always trying to think of, okay, well, why do people like his drumming? And it's because it's got a certain energy. It's got a certain like frantic quality to it that to me, I don't prefer, but there are some people that when they're faced with, do I want something that sounds pristine and polished or do I want something that sounds rough around the edges and frantic? One is not better than the other. And in some Mm -hmm, situations, mm -hmm. the pristine, like, and this is the thing that I get really bummed out about in all the discussions online. Michael Jordan versus LeBron or Stuart Copeland versus Vinnie Caliuto. Like, whatever you want to do, there's people that are going, this is right and this is wrong. And it's like, well, no. (laughs) (laughs) There's no one that actually knows things about basketball that would say, you know, like, you can look at an NBA team and go, oh, Michael Jordan was perfect for the Bulls. And that means that Michael Jordan might not be perfect for a different team that had a different chemistry. Just as Stuart Copeland. Yeah, Yeah. because 
The Police is my favorite. That's my favorite band. And it wouldn't be The Police without Stuart Copeland. It wouldn't be The Police without Stuart Copeland. And then you can make the argument that while that that while that is still true, there are certain bands that if you drop Stuart Copeland into, you'd be going, this is too much, man. You're doing too mm-hmm. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's Mumford and same. Sons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think he actually would kind of thrive in Mumford and Sons. But you look at like the Beatles and it's like people love to hate on Ringo because he wasn't the most technical mm. drummer. But it's like he did exactly mm. what that band needed. And when you have someone like John Lennon and Paul McCartney there, mm-hmm. which you don't necessarily, and George Harrison, all doing different things and all, you know, going on to be prolific songwriters and musicians in their own right. So did Ringo. But swapping out John Bonham into the Beatles, yes, John Bonham was a tech, more technical drummer, but it doesn't necessarily mean the Beatles would be better for it. When I listen to music, if I'm putting curiosity first, it means that I can listen to a song that I don't love and ask myself, oh, okay, why do I think people like this? Because that's going to help me be able to relate to people better than me just simply hearing a song I don't like and going, I don't like this. There's like no, mm. there's no, there's there's not a less fruitful attitude in life than your first thought being, I don't like this. Like nothing <laughs> ever really good followed, <laughs> I don't like this. But that's fear and discomfort. It's fear and discomfort, but I think it's also just like not asking what that next question is, which is like, I don't like this, but if I had to say, what do I like about it? Yeah, but and but it's because you f- you feel safe and comfortable in your opinion. I believe X, and that's it. So you're asking me to question why I believe X, that is going to take me out of my comfort zone because I can't necessarily explain it. And I don't want to explain it. Well, yeah, and I think that what it does too, like you think about some of the political things that are going on in the world and some of the like political conversation you've probably had with your family members. Like what happens there is what you have to realize to have a real dialogue about something is not only do you have to have your opinions and your beliefs and be able to back them up, but you also, to have a mature conversation, have to be able to realize that like the other side that you disagree with also might have points that you don't think are totally stupid. Mm. Like, okay, so you don't mm. love country music. Ha- like, I- I'm not going to say half. A lot of country music, when you really strip away everything else, the groove that's happening there are like almost just like straight up hip hop grooves. Now you got to strip away the banjo and you got to strip away the like truck puns of it all. But like once you get below all that, really what you're left with is like a pretty just like slamming 808 kick drum hip hop sounding like track that they put all this stuff over top of. And in order, but in order to get there, you have to be okay with the fact of like, oh, okay, so I don't love this version of pop country music, but in it, there are some things that I still do relate to. My wife and I just finished Ozark. No spoilers, people. No spoilers. We just finished Ozark, though. And mm-hmm, so did I. With any ending of a TV show, I, I think no matter what happens, that last episode is never going to... I think we all get maybe one series in our whole life that is going to wrap up exactly like we want it. 
<laughs> in every other series that wraps up, you just have to be okay with it not being exactly what you would have done. And I think for a lot of people, in order for us to think the whole show was great, it has to end exactly like I thought. Like we saw this with Game of Thrones, right? When, mm-hmm. when the last season of Game of Thrones was coming out, it took this whole show that everyone for the lifetime of the show had been like, it's the greatest thing ever created. It looks amazing. The actor, the performances are incredible. The writing is great, blah, 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 blah. And then like the last couple of episodes come out and people are like, this is the worst show ever created. I can't believe they did this. They betrayed all the characters. This is terrible. And it Well, like- yeah, because it wasn't... Cons- well, there's also consistency. You know, if you're presenting a thing as we're telling a story and this is the way we're telling a story and we believe in... The promise is character development. We're not rushing. And then all of a sudden it changes. But I think that conversation, what people weren't saying is, hey, these last three episodes, I feel like they rushed the blah, blah, blah. The oh, conversation, that was the conversation my girls and I had for 100%. Because you're a person 100%. who fosters curiosity. Most of the conversation at large was like, this show sucks. They ruined this show. And that's the kind of, I think, the kind of thinking that's so easy is hearing the country song and going, this song sucks. And it's like, so you're saying there's no part of this song that you you think is redeemable or was well done or whatever. And I think that that's where you get into trouble. And what I've tried to do, and I haven't always been good about this, but what I've tried to do is take... Ozark and the last season I thought the last season was like perfect other than the last like 15 minutes you had like again I go back to all the way at the beginning of this conversation you have to fight for the mindset of like no the show is incredible there's just 15 minutes of it where I'm like "Ah, I don't know it wasn't my favorite 15 minutes it just so Mm -hmm. happened to be the last 15 minutes that doesn't ruin the rest of the show. But I do think that we live, you know, we live in a Marvel franchise world where mm-hmm. people are watching a movie and to deem whether or not the movie was good or not, it's like, does this plot follow how I viewed this character being? And if not, movie sucked. Or could it just be that this is an area in my life where I have determined this is where I would like to escape from reality? So I just want feel good. I just want the happy ending, bad versus good, very binary, simple um, models that I can get behind because my world doesn't work like this. So maybe that in that situation, that person is deciding, I don't need to be curious here. I don't want to be curious here. I don't want that. Yeah. I mean, that's always an option in anything. You can, that that is absolutely always an option. I would argue that that is a lot of times the default option most people take. Mm-hmm. And that that is, I think a lot of times holding someone back from having a better experience with most of their life. Because this is the, mm. we do this, mm. whether, we, whether we want to do it or not, we are constantly doing this through our life. Like even with the person that cut us off in traffic earlier today or whatever, we are constantly making a binary choice that that person is an asshole. When in reality, 
all of us have cut someone off at some point. And maybe we didn't notice. Maybe we were in a rush somewhere. Maybe we were... There's all kinds of reasons could have happened. Well, I'll tell you, there's this example. um, Maddie and I were at a couple of concerts recently. And the people watching in concerts is is fascinating. Sure. It's you get so many flavors of behavior and and everything at a concert. So it just happened to be that at these two particular concerts there were younger women behind us, I don't know, 20s, maybe 30s, I don't know. But during the concert they're talking to each other for a long time <laughs> and at the loudest volume. <laughs> and my go-to would be to get upset, you know, because concert seats are not cheap anymore. Sure. And, um, you know, because I'm old enough to remember where it was really reasonable and it's not anymore. So, you know, you, you got to fight to get these seats and I want to be at this place and I don't appreciate people behind me screaming. So Maddie and I look at each other at a certain point and I go, you know, I just have to, in order to calm myself, this is what I'm doing now. I'm telling myself stories. So maybe these two women have not seen each other in a long time and they've just connected. And one of them is dying. And so they need to make the most of this last few moments that they have together. So that's why they're choosing to scream at each other (laughs) and have a conversation during a concert. I think we all have a decision in our life to decide how much we're going to prioritize ourselves over other people. And that's true in mm. every situation. So me deciding the newest Marvel movie sucks is me <laughs> prioritizing myself over anything else. Because if I'm viewing it myself first, I get to decide, okay, whatever I like is right. And this movie, I didn't like it. So it's bad. That's that's a decision I can make. But I can promise you, if you're a person that's ever worked on a Hollywood film, there's 7 billion people involved. And those people are watching this thing come out and they're maybe able to say, that wasn't my favorite Marvel movie, but the set design was incredible. Like, can't believe it. Like, man, the visual effects have gotten so much better in this franchise versus the first movie or whatever. And that's because they're viewing it as a person who is seeing themselves in it and going, well, sure, I didn't like the XYZ star that they cast in that role, but here's something that I did like about it. And again, that's like an example of how when you're... This is why I think anyone that can comment on the internet should have had to put something creatively onto the internet. Mm -hmm. Because once you do, you'll realize how hard it is to make anything that seems quality. Mm -hmm. True. (laughs) And it will totally revolutionize what kind of vitriolic things you put in comment sections. (laughs) Because you'll realize like, wow, I tried really hard and my thing looked terrible. So... Mm. I should probably leave some room for this person that also put something out that I thought was terrible. You know what I mean? And, you know, I just think that we're faced with the decision to prioritize 
us and what we think over someone else. And I think that, yes, the reason we don't get more people that are curious, the reason we don't get more people that are, you know, net positiving the world versus being a net negative are because it's really hard to prioritize someone else over yourself and what Mm -hmm. you want and what makes you comfortable. Mm -hmm. But the more we do it, the better off we'll all be because we'll realize that that person, that family member that we totally disagree with over their insane political or anti-science opinions or whatever, the more we can see the world from their side of things, the more we can start saying like, you know what, as much as I really don't want to admit it, there's part of me that sometimes in certain ways totally does what they're doing right now. Like Mm. that person that cuts you off in traffic, if you are truly walking around thinking like, there's no part of me that is the kind of person that cuts people off in traffic, you're insane. There absolutely Mm -hmm. is. There Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. is. And sure, maybe it's not showing up in the same way. Maybe it's not showing up as often. Maybe you've done a lot of work to not react poorly in those situations like this person's doing currently. Like, you know, and so I used to be very Christian and then I went on this Christian tour and I'm not Christian anymore. And when I first was kind of like deconstructing my faith, I was very much like angry at all the Christians that didn't understand what I now understand. Hmm. And then as more and more time went by, I realized like, that's just a reaction to the exact thing that like my cynicism and anger at Christians when I started deconstructing my faith was just a reaction to all the things that I had been close-minded about. And I was basically angry at myself over. And I mean, you see this time and time again in like even cheesy rom-coms, like the thing people are most critical in about someone else is usually the thing that they struggle with the most. Mm-hmm, 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 you know, mm-hmm. you have some kind of, you know, father figure in a movie that's really judgmental of their son who's gay. And then it turns out like the father was closeted or something like that. It's like, yeah, this is how the world works. We lash out at things we wish we could change about ourselves that we're spending Mm -hmm. the most time hiding about ourselves. Hmm. And I think that that's true of like musicians that look at each other and, and we go like, oh, that type of musician is terrible. I hate that, blah, blah, blah. Because it's the thing that we are like most insecure about or whatever. Mm. Like a lot of the people that are, this is what we were talking about this on our lesson. Like, I feel like all the people in life that are spending their time trying to convince people how like the musicians are, oh, I'm so busy. I got so many sessions right now. I got so many gigs going on. I'm so busy. I'm turning down work because I'm so busy. Are most often the people that are the least busy. And I feel like that's that's just it's a very human thing. And what those people aren't realizing is like, man, the thing that would the thing that would connect you most with people would be being vulnerable about the fact of like, man, I really don't have any work right now. And people would go, Oh man, I've had plenty of times where I don't have any work and it was scary. Like, I just got this call about this thing I can't do. Like, do you want me to throw their your number their way? And 
you know, I think a lot of times as humans, we spend, I do it. I'm saying it because I do it more than mm-hmm. most people probably. You you try and hide and cover up the things that you're, you feel ashamed about, the things that you feel like you wish you could do better. And in reality, sharing those things would probably bring you much closer to where you want to be because you'd realize that everybody is really going through that. So when I see someone trying to when I see someone, I think objectively being a terrible person and the whole world is dogpiling on them, I try to remember and remind myself like, oh, I'm someone who wants control and security. And the reason this person is acting this way is because they want control and control secure. and security. If I think at some point that <laughs> I have now become above wanting that, that, you know, that's the that's the most time in your life where you're most likely to fall prey to something like that. I think something else I've been thinking a lot about lately, too, is context. You know, it's if you change the scenery, but you keep the same characters, they're not going to behave the same way necessarily. Like, you don't know. You know how they say that we don't totally necessarily know ourselves? Like, I don't know what I would be like in a situation where I didn't have food for several days. Sure. I don't know what I would be capable of doing or I don't know. I just don't know because I don't know what that's like. Yeah, I do, and it would be bad. Like, <laughs> I would. It would be really, really bad, and that's why. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the kind of thing that, man. I think we. It's just so easy to forget that, like, not everyone grew up listening to the same music as you. Therefore, yeah, yeah. not everyone is going to agree with your precious music opinions about like what's good and what's bad and what's better and what's worse. Sure. So the the lesson I should take from today is that people who listen to country music are people too, right, Tim? Country music fans are people too, is the takeaway. (laughs) So it really is. To wrap up, you're absolutely right. And I was being facetious, but not really. Well, Um, but that demonstrates so, like, it really is important to keep that in mind because we do have a way of dehumanizing. Everything like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I do think that like whether it's country music or people that watch that show F Boy Island or the show Survivor or whatever, we have this tendency to be like, oh, that that TV show is trashy TV. The people that watch it are idiots. Or or what I what I find is intellectual people that say, I don't watch TV. We don't own a TV. (laughs) And it's like so just because I own a TV and I like watching TV, does that mean that I'm not a smart person, that I don't know how to read? I don't think you can categorically say that. And that highlights the exact thing that I think has temporarily, hopefully not forever, ruined jazz for you, is jazz has become this elitist, like the formal education world took hold of jazz and started saying like, let's be elite about who can play Mm -hmm. jazz and what jazz is and what it means and blah, 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 blah. And what that does is creates this atmosphere of I'm a real musician. I like jazz. Do you like jazz? Oh, you don't like jazz? Yeah, oh, yeah. you're not a real musician. You don't yeah, like jazz. Right. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. likes jazz if they're a real mm-hmm. musician. When in mm-hmm. reality, it's mm-hmm. like, no, man. And when you do that, it puts all <laughs> this weight and frustration around the topic and it makes it so that you don't want to 
use your curiosity on it because you go like, what's the point? There's all this baggage with it. There's all this pressure with it. There's all these like things that, I, and I think that it's the same with like, like you can do like with with cocktails. I love really fancy cocktails that have very obscure ingredients in this whole thing. But to assume that that's the only way that you can enjoy an adult beverage is, I think, actually wrong. But there are people that get so into like the craft cocktail world that they go to some bar and all they can order is like a vodka and soda and they go like, and it's like, man, that'll still get you drunk. And you can still have fun drinking, (laughs) you know what I mean? And not that I'm ever drinking to get drunk, but it's like, I love craft beer, but when I'm painting a house, I don't need like a 9% craft IPA. Like, just give me some PBR, man. Like, we're painting a house. It's going to be fine. Drink some PBRs and like, put on, in that instance, put on some country radio. Like... That's what you're supposed to do. It's context. Context. And it's realizing Mm. that your context isn't everybody's context. And I think Mm. that that could take us a lot further in the world and actually end up, you know, I I think whether you want to do it for you just being a better person or you want to do it to get to your goal you're trying to, like a lot of times compassion and empathy and curiosity are a much better way to do it. This is a great place to wrap up with my last question, which you know. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Does it include curiosity? These days, I think part of, if I'm going to define health in any way, it has to do with some kind of like being in a healthy community of Mm. people that make you feel safe and seen and you being a contributing member of that community making other people feel safe and seen. And within that comes being curious about how are people doing, checking in on people, how knowing that you and -and so-and-so disagree on this little thing and you've talked about it and worked it out. Like I think that health can really only be done in community. And in community, it necessitates some level of curiosity and some level of deprioritizing yourself and prioritizing how other people see things. You know, that kind of thinking, it's a different kind of curiosity than like getting better at music or exploring the world of cocktails or whatever. But it all contributes to the same thing, which is like, again, I'm not, I am not the main character in 99.9999999 repeating percent of the population. (laughs) I am not the main character. That means that I need to get very curious about all these other main characters that I encounter to be able to plug into it and be someone who people can be like, feel safe and feel seen around. And that is why you are one of my curiosity superheroes. I appreciate it. Well, you're one of mine. And we, you know, we've had more than one very great conversation about this stuff. So <laughs> I appreciate this one we just had. As do I. Do you know a lovely woman who would enjoy practicing yoga with us from the comfort of her own home? We foster a peaceful, happy, and safe space in our online yoga classes. Community and relationships matter. 
So there are no more than 10 women per class. And because we want it to be a good fit, the first month is free for new students. So what are you waiting for? Join today. Book at npkhealthintegration.com. Hope to see you soon.